Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. Join us this Sunday at one of our four campuses. Call times are at 9 and 11 a.m. at our Somerville and Remount campuses, 10 a.m. at our North Charleston campus, and 11 a.m. at our Monk's Corner campus. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit faithishere.org. Good morning, Faith. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. Well, I'm so happy uh, to be here with you guys this morning. Pastor Larry, as many of you know, he's with some of our, our, our men, and they're up in Montana on a missions trip. They're actually currently building a church. I think they have a... Yeah, there's a picture of the progress they've made. Uh, so be in prayer for them this week as they'll be traveling back uh, uh, on, on Friday. They'll get back late Friday afternoon. So be in prayer for them. Uh, go ahead and open up your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 13. This whole summer we've been going through uh, chapter by chapter through the book of Romans. And, and last week, Pastor Larry uh, challenged us in chapter 12 where, where Paul urges Christians in Rome that, that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now from, from that point on, everything that Paul talks about in the book of Romans is all a, a, an act of sacrifice, each point. And, and last week it was about how we live that life of sacrifice inside the church and amongst fellow believers. Now this morning we're going to continue this thought of this sacrifice life in chapter number 13. And, and we're going to venture out from our fellow believers and, and, and within our church. And we're going to go into now, okay, how do we do this in our community? And how do we do this with our fellow man out there uh, that we run into every day of the week? So if you would, go ahead and stand with me this morning. We're going to start in verse number one. We're going to read a couple of our verses of our text this morning. Starting with verse number one, it says, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God, and consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against God, what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Let us pray. Lord, we love you so much. Lord, we thank you, God, for your word, Lord, that you have given us. Lord, we trust, Lord, that that the words that Paul penned here are divinely inspired by you, God. Your word is living and active. Therefore, this word applies to us even today. Lord, I ask, Lord, that you would remove any opinions of man, any, any portions of my flesh, Lord, and that only your word and your truth, what we, your spirit would have us to, to hear this morning would come for. But we love you so much. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As you're seated, look at your neighbor and say, this is going to be fun. <laughs> Submit yourselves to the governing authorities is how Paul starts out this chapter. And for us, we have to realize that our lives here in America are going to change, and they will change very quickly within the next maybe five to ten years. There is a major spiritual war being waged in America, and its battleground is right in the system of the government of our nation. 
You, you have forces on one side who, who want to uh, oppress the freedom of conscience and, and the things that we believe and ultimately the freedom to express what we, we believe publicly. And then you have another side who they're, 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 they're fighting for the, the, the freedom to be able to uh, hold different viewpoints and religious convictions without penalty. So you and I are going to be faced with important decisions in the coming decade. We are, going to, are we going to obey the convictions that the Spirit of God has put in our heart and, and what the Word of God has told us to do? Or are we going to obey the government who, as it currently stands, is making more and more laws to restrict the right to conscience and consequently the right to exercise our faith publicly without penalty? The choices as believers that we will mu- must make, they're going to be difficult. But I want to assure you this morning that this is nothing new. This is nothing new. And as a stranger and a foreigner in this world that you were not created for, this is nothing new for people of faith. People of faith have, have ex- experienced this since the beginning. You're going to be faced. There's going to be opposition. You remember, this world hates you because it hated him first. I want you to try and place yourself this morning in some pivotal moments in history. For instance, let's say you're British in 1760. You grew up in England, but you spent your childhood, your adulthood in Charlestown, as Charleston was known back then. Managing your family's business in the colonies, your family has prospered under British rule. You don't always agree with King George and the Parliament, but you've been loyal. Eventually, though, you get tired of having heavy and burdensome taxes levied against you. The rates are astronomical, and it's beginning to cripple your business and your personal income. There are no government benefits which are given in return for the amount you pay in taxes. The colonies are talking about revolting, and for the first time, you actually, you're actually sympathetic to the cause. Do you join the fight for justice, or do you remain silent? Because it's not your place to get involved in what you seem to call politics. Fast forward, now it's 1861. Fort Sumter was captured just months earlier. South Carolina is the first of what many of what will be many southern states to succeed from the United States. There are many issues contributing to the secession, but front and center is the state's right to allow slavery to exist. You don't own any slaves. You're not a wealthy plantation owner, but you've harbored racist views your entire life. All you've known is that people of color aren't on the same level as you. Recently, your pastor... Thomas Smith of the Second Presbyterian Church off of Meeting Street has been preaching against slavery and secession. He's known as an abolitionist around town. The messages move you, and you're caught between supporting your state secession or your conviction that slavery is not right. Fast forward once again to 1936. You're a Christian living in Berlin, Germany. The crippling sanctions from World War I have completely decimated your nation. Desperate for anything resembling hope, they elect a fiery, passionate, and patriotic Adolf Hitler and his Nazi party to power. As time goes by, you witness some Jewish friends being forced to wear an ominous Star of David in public. 
eventually, it, then you notice that it, they start disappearing without explanation. Eventually, it becomes clear that it isn't just the Jews who are disappearing. It's any and every political, religious, and ethnic opponent. You hear of a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a pastor and theologian who's helping to organize an overthrow of the Nazis. Do you openly stand against your government? Or, again, do you remain silent because it's not your place to get political? See, clearly those examples that we read through history, those examples that we look at and what we just read and what Paul describes in chapter 13, they don't seem to match up. See, in light of Paul's instructions for believers to submit to the higher authorities, we throughout history have found ourselves in these dilemmas, these these hard situations. And see, the first thing that we've got to realize as we are foreigners in this land, knowing that we will face opposition, is submission isn't easy. Submission is not easy. It wasn't easy then, and it isn't easy now. See, understand from just a strictly historical point of view, Paul is writing positively about this government, Rome, because he realizes the importance of Rome for the advancement of the gospel. See, his idea was if, if, if we could peacefully exist with the governing authorities, maybe they'll just leave us alone. And in the early portions of the, of the church, this was, this was for the most part uh, true. Uh, they, they left them alone and, and they used the roads and the systems and the peace that, that Rome brought to them to advance the gospel in a rapid, rapid way. Then, Nero, as the emperor, he blames the destruction of a, a massive fire that covered almost half of Rome. He blames this on the Christians And the persecution which took place after this is nothing like we've seen in history since. In fact, he was even responsible for the executions of Peter and Paul, among many others. See, now the thing is, is I want to focus real quick on on, on verse number one. He says, we have to submit to the governing authorities. He says, it's not really an option. We really don't have an, an option in this. It's something that as Christians we're supposed to do. And I know that submission is always easy, and and no, Paul didn't necessarily understand the the position that he would find himself in the current years with Nero. He wasn't aware of the future Christians, the the situations that we would face, the situations that, that people around the world are facing right now. However, Paul was a very intelligent man. Many scholars believe that he could already see the writing on the wall that this, that this oppression, that this uh, persecution would be coming. I mean, Jesus told his disciples specifically that it was coming. Remember, though, God's word is alive and active. It's timeless. And if we believe this, if we believe that about God's word, then we must also believe that Paul's instructions to the early church in Rome here is not only applicable then, but it's been applicable at every point in time in every nation, both America and any nation around this world right now. He knew what was coming. It's not like he's writing these words with ease. He knows that what he's asking us to do, not what he's asking us to do, what he's telling us to do is going to be very difficult. 
See, much of our dilemma today with this passage, uh, it comes from a misunderstanding of the word that's translated to submit. Hupatasso is the Greek word there. Hupatasso. It's a military term. A military term, and it means voluntary deference to the wishes of another. Voluntary deference to the wish of another. In other words, you are volunteering. You're volunteering yourself to obey the orders of the higher authority that's been placed over you. Not that you're obligated to do so, but you're saying, hey, I'm going to volunteer myself to obey these orders of the higher authority. However, we just read, if, if we just read the, uh, chapter uh, 13, verse 1, without knowing that specific word, then maybe we would think that, hey, you know what? We just blindly follow whatever they say. We just blindly do whatever they say to do, regardless of what's going on. But the next phrase, right after you're submitting to the governing authorities, is key. Because he says, all authority comes from God. All authority comes from God. And those who are in authority were placed there by God. So this doesn't mean that we we just blindly follow those authorities. No, in fact, it means when we submit ourselves to those authorities, to those higher powers, we're not just submitting ourselves to them. Ultimately, we are submitting ourselves to God by doing that. So now... With God being the higher authority that has placed these governing powers in position, what do we do when these governing authorities, their rules, their laws, are not with God's word? Let me illustrate it for you. Some of you may know I was, I was in the Navy for almost 10 years. And uh, this being a military term, I, I can relate to this. And I think uh, this might help you uh, see it maybe a little more clearly. I was, I was on a submarine any submariners here this morning? Maybe? No? Yep, the few, the per- Oh, right here, right here. I see him. See him. Oh, there's another one back there. Okay, and, and when we were in the engine room, I was an enlisted man, so there was officers appointed over me. And say if something bad had, was to happen, we had these immediate actions that we were to take in order to save uh, the, the, the engine room, the reactor plant, and the, ultimately the submarine and all the men on board. So let's say I'm sitting there, something happens, and uh, the officer over me gives me a direction to do something which is not uh, according to the manual. It, it was then that point, it was my duty, it was my duty to not obey that instruction, but instead to take the instructions of the manual that was the overall governing authority of those actions. Okay, so I'm voluntarily submitting myself to the higher power, the higher power. See, Christians, especially in America, this is where we begin to get it wrong. It's not that we don't recognize that what God says and what the government says may not be the same thing. But what happens is instead of submitting ourselves to the governing authority and saying, you know, I can't do that, I'm going to do this. Instead, we often demonize our political leaders when a decision contradicting God's word is made. Sometimes, maybe it takes all you have inside of you not to say something on Facebook. Or maybe you say, forget it, I'm going to say what I want to. Because after all, it's my right for free speech. 
See, what we have to remember is this, that criticizing leaders in an unnecessary and very negative way does a lot more to suppress the message of Christ than to advance it. Listen, is our goal to convince someone that a policy is bad or to convince someone that they need Jesus Christ? One of them has eternal consequences, and one of them, in our light of eternity, really doesn't matter. You see, it's more importantly, we've got to keep things in an eternal perspective. It doesn't matter whether I agree or disagree with someone politically. I'm much more comp- uh, worried about their soul than their political affiliation. Now, at the same time, I do recognize that there are policy decisions made which, like it or not, thrust us into the realm of politics. Sometimes it is completely unavoidable, and we're on this path to this reality right now. It hasn't arrived in America yet, but it is coming, and it begs this question, though. What do we do when a policy tries to force us to do something that God's Word says not to do. When that comes, we want you to remember that we are called into a submissive defiance. Submissive defiance. Now, just so you can understand exactly what this means, I want to pull a couple stories directly from Scripture. The first one is in Daniel chapter 3. Uh, Daniel chapter 3, we have, a, well, we have a, a situation where Nebuchadnezzar, he has built this huge statue of himself, a 90-foot tall statue, which just for a point of reference, the Statue of Liberty is 150 feet tall, so you know, two-thirds of the size of the Statue of Liberty. And he has said that when all of these instruments begin to start playing, everyone, regardless of, of what you think, if you're under his reign, you are to bow down and worship this statue. These three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you see, they know that there is no authority that, is, that has been appointed, but that has been appointed by God. They recognize who the higher power is. However, they are going to engage in a submissive defiance. Listen to their response to King Nebuchadnezzar when they're sentenced to death. This is in Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not... We want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. That's submissive defiance. That's saying, you know what, I don't have to obey what you have asked me to do because I will not disobey what God has instructed me to do. However, your authority has come from God. I will submit myself to that punishment if you see so fit. Because ultimately, my God's the one in control of my life anyway. The story goes on. They submitted themselves. Nebuchadnezzar threw them into the fire. And we know, we, some of us have read the story. They were not harmed. There was not even a, their clothing was not singed. And Nebuchadnezzar, in turn, 
recognizes there's a fourth man in the fire. And he appears as one of the sons of God. So you want to, de- you want to de- defy the government? You want to, to, to uh, engage in this spiritual warfare? That's how it happens. Not, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm taking up arms against you. In Acts chapter 4, you got Peter and John, and they stand before their governing authorities, and they tell them to judge for themselves whether, whether it is right to obey the government or God. That's a bold statement right there. He tells the authorities, hey, judge for yourselves if it's right. Both examples of both Daniel, uh, in the book of Daniel and in the book of Acts, they, they show this submission in their disobedience. They show that how people of God submitted to the punishment of the government, it was, was, that the government was giving them for following the commands that God had put in place. If you look back, even, even when the Israelites were released from Egypt, they went to the, they went to the uh, and they said, let my people go. And they left it in God's hands to bring about the plagues. They left it in God's hands to part the waters. They left it in God's hands to collapse the waters on the Egyptians. They didn't take it into their own. Submissive defiance. Time is coming in our lifetimes where we find ourselves in similar situations right here in America. We'll be faced with two options. Do we submit to the government's punishment for civil disobedience and follow God's word? Or do we betray our relationship with Christ and submit to the government? Last week in chapter 12, Paul said that we are to live our lives as a living sacrifice. He never said that being a living sacrifice was going to be easy. He just said that in light of God's mercies, that's what we are to do. Peacefully and respectfully, we must do what God commands. Now, in chapter 13, Paul, he begins to make this transition starting in verse number six. And he's going to make what seems to be like two unrelated connections. He's going to start continue talking about the government and, and, and the paying of those taxes. And then he's going to flip to what seems like doesn't have anything to do with, with that same situation. And he's going to begin to talk about a debt that we can never pay off. And that's the debt of love. We'll pick it up in verse number eight. He says, this is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Love, for the day is near. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. You see, love is a debt. Paul describes love in this passage as a debt. He goes one step further and he says, hey, this is a debt that you can never actually pay. You continually owe one another love. Now, verse 8 is full of all kinds of of great stuff. And there's all uh, kinds of good points to be drawn out of uh, of that verse. But for the sake of this morning, let's just take a look at it at, at face value. We owe love to everyone, to everyone. If He starts off first just love one another, but he goes beyond mere, merely loving other believers because the next term used when he says love your fellow man is one that's different than you. It's that, that word there is the heteros, one of a different kind. 
We love those who are different from us. Different in beliefs, different in theology, different in personality, different in politics, different in mannerisms, different in tastes, race, values, and history. In other words, Paul says, with love, difference should make no difference. See, love is an unending debt. It can never be zeroed out. You will never not owe your fellow man love. It's an unending debt. Paul goes on to say in verse number nine that that love fulfills the law. It is the fulfillment of God's law. He's reaching all the way back to the heart of Christ's teaching. In Matthew uh, chapter 22, Jesus says the entire law, all the law and the prophets can be summarized into these two commandments. To love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. See, we fulfill God's law when we love. See, the, love, the law is not only an expression of God's character, but it also points to his original created order. For Paul, love embodies the, the highest ideas of this new kingdom that Jesus Christ is going to establish and enforce on earth. And at, that, at this time... Paul wants us to be examples of what that kingdom is going to look like in the coming days. You see, it's it's kind of crazy here. Paul, he moves into into this this debt and this fulfillment, this paradox that we have here in these two verses. In order to get out of the debt of the law, I have to go into debt of love. It's, it's kind of weird here, it, it, but the, when we realize the difference between these two, this is liberating, and it brings great freedom. Instead of focusing on what I could never do, perfectly fulfill the law, hey, instead, let me focus on what I can always do and love those that are around me. That's how I get out from under the law that I can never do, is do what I can always do and love. Love one another. Now, this isn't something Paul is saying to do tomorrow. It's not something he's saying do when those that are different than you are no longer different than you. He's saying now. There's an urgency in this verse. And in verse number 11, you can see it. He says, and do this. He's talking about love. And love, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believe. He says, love, understanding the present time, understanding what is going on right now. It's time for us to wake up. It's like he's sounding this alarm saying, look, we don't have time to love tomorrow. We've got to do it today. The time is now. The time is now. Paul said to love when? Now. His urgency comes from this statement and that our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Now, what he's talking about here isn't the the salvation that you received when when you first believed on the name of the Lord Jesus and and invited him to come and be the Lord of your life. What he's talking about is our ultimate salvation, the fulfillment, the the, 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 uh, when our uh, everything is made new. When Jesus Christ returns and his kingdom is now the governing authority, that salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And in verse number 12, he says, the night is nearly over. 
The day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. You see, human history can't go on forever. Even the best scientists in the world have recognized at some point it all ends. For us, the belief that God is sovereign or in control of everything, control of all things, this same thought is prevalent. We really believe that God one day is going to come back, that Jesus Christ He's going to return. And Paul uses a Greek word here for this word time. He could have chose between two different words. The chronos, or, or this, like a calendar, like a, a, a sundial type of time that kind of j- it's just going to come. But he chooses to use this word kairos, which refers to a, a fixed or appointed period. If uh, Charles Dickens was writing his tale of two cities in Greek, he may have said it was the best of times, the best of Kairos, and the worst of Kairos. See, the time to love God and others wholeheartedly is right now. It is right now. It's this period of history, this period of time where love has taken, it love has to take center stage. Let me ask you the question this morning. How do you look at the times we live in? How do you view the times we live in? Is there a sense of urgency in your spirit? Is there a sense of urgency that because of the situations I find myself in, because of the moral decline that I see all around me, I have to go and love? I have to go and be Jesus to somebody. Or do we look at the times and say, man, I need to lock the door. I need to stay in my house. I can't go out. The time to love is now. When when, when Paul talked about, uh, when Jesus, rather, in Matthew chapter 22, when he talked about loving one another, oftentimes we present it even to our kids in this way. We're like, hey, now do you want somebody to do that to you? No. Well, don't do that to someone else. And we look at it as though we just don't do evil to others because we don't want evil done to us. That idea has been uh, around way before Jesus presented that idea that you don't do evil to someone else because you don't want it done to you. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. It wasn't a defensive mechanism where I'm not going to do bad so that bad doesn't get done to me. It was an offensive maneuver. I'm going to do to everyone else what I wish everyone else would do to me. And in doing that, in loving one another, in getting out of what I want, and not worrying about those kind of things, when I get out of that and I love one another despite how they treat me, despite their beliefs, despite what they look like, despite how they dress, that's when we see the kingdom of God on earth. That's when the gospel advances. That's when we see lives changed That's when we see policy changed. That's when we love. See, the period of time is now. 
We've been instructed to carry this message of Christ to the ends of the earth. How are we doing with that? We can give to missions. We go on missions trips. How are we doing in loving the one who sleeps every night, maybe 200 feet from where you do? Your neighbor. How are we doing with taking this message of Christ to the ends of the earth? Are we more passionate about winning an argument than winning someone who may be different? Are we more passionate about that? Often the difference is we let them divide us instead of bringing someone to Christ, instead of loving someone else. Paul said in his passage that the night is nearly over. The night is nearly over. He's alluding to that light of Christ that is going to invade this darkness that is in the world. The light of Christ is going to invade, and it is never going to be the same. The light which shines through all of those who follow Jesus Christ, the darkness, shines into that darkness, and people are set free. We've got to love. We've got to do it now. This period of time is coming to a close few weeks ago when breaking down Romans chapter 11, this was two weeks ago, we spoke about the church age and the age of the Gentiles. What age follows that? What follows that period of time? It's this turbulent seven-year period, this turbulent seven-year kairos, which ends with the establishment of God's kingdom forever, forever. Is it an exaggeration to say that we're running out of time? Is it an exaggeration? I don't think so. For Christians, submissive defiance and love has to start now. For you who are con- contemplating what a life as a Christian would be like, I hope that you choose Christ this morning. There isn't a better time than right now. This morning, I want to close with the same thought that Paul closes chapter 13 with. It really knows that there's some people in here who haven't made Jesus Christ the Lord of their life. That light that we talk about has yet to invade your heart, has yet to become to define who you are. And maybe look, life for you looks more like darkness than light. This morning, we've got good news for you. Paul, in verse number 14, He basically says, all you need to do is change your clothes. Change your clothes. You see, Jesus, who was fully God, he came to this earth and he lived a perfect life according to the law. They crucified him on a cross. And even though he was innocent, Scripture says that he died for your sins, for my sins. He did that to take our place. And now Jesus, he offers us this free gift of grace. And Paul here, as well in other letters that he writes to the churches, he compares receiving this grace to putting on clothes. In Romans 13, verse 14, he says, Rather, clothe yourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. He said, clothe yourself. Change your clothes. We take off the things of this world and we, we put on Christ. 
And we put on Christ. The idea of, of putting something on, putting something on such as Christ and, and, and this new self, it reminds me of a term that we don't use a whole lot much more, but it's still true, and they say the clothes make the man. Clothes in our culture is very much a part of one's identity, signifying where he or she may fit into society. In America, a dramatic upgrade in your wardrobe can become a a dramatic boost to one's self-confidence. It's not mere vanity that makes us feel this way, but instead to, to put on something is to believe a certain way and then behave accordingly. I put on. I believe a certain way, and then my actions follow out of that. Now, now it, to put on Christ, it may seem artificial, but in reality, when it comes to Jesus Christ, when you put on those beliefs, when your actions follow that, you're not covering up what's on inside, the inside of you. Instead, you're displaying what he is to everybody else. This morning, I want to give everyone the opportunity here this morning. In light of the fact that the time is now and our day of salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Our time is running short. It's time to love. It's time to actually be Jesus to someone else. We talk about submitting to the governing authorities and following Jesus Christ, and even Jesus Christ in his final act on this earth was a submission to the governing authorities, saying, you think you've got this figured out? You think that I need to die for this? And you're right, I do, but not for the reasons you think I do. I'll submit myself to what you would have. Because remember, God's in control of everything. And way back in Romans chapter 8, nearly a month ago, It's God who's working all things out for our good. Even, even the policies and things of that nature, the the punishments, when they don't reflect the word of God. He's working all things out for our good. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.